as many times as they've seen the movie on the little boxes in their living room, now on their large screen TVs, people flock to the Dietrich Theater in Tonkanic every December to view It's a Wonderful Life on the big screen. No doubt they want to see the film the old-fashioned way, the way of sharing a movie with others and of developing a kind of emotional community with the highs and lows, the ups and downs of George Bailey and the people of Bedford Falls. Many in the Dietrich audience come out of the theater contending Tonkanic is Bedford Falls. While the story is unfolding in the theater, outside in the entryway, the Earnshaw Lobby Gallery, there is always an array of holiday decorations when the movie is screened and a special window, a very special window that's somewhat larger than a huge TV. And we stop in our tracks, drawn by the colors, the figures, exploring all the details of this one-of-a-kind wonderland before us. But back to the really big screen. We may not have given it a second thought, but there just happened to be a number of clocks decking the walls in various scenes in It's a Wonderful Life. There's a vintage clock on the wall in George Bailey's office. Abe from the National Association of Watch and Clock Collectors reminds us of the clock on the wall of the main office at Bailey Building and Loan. And that clock takes center stage. Mean Mr. Potter has issued a deadline to doom. Do you remember in the movie that close shot George, Uncle Billy, and Cousin Tilly are behind the counter watching the minute hand of a clock on the wall? As George counts off the seconds, Cousin Eustace is ready to close the door. Uncle Billy says, We're going to make it, George. They'll never close us up today. And George says, counting, six, five, four, Three, two, bingo! Cousin Eustace slams and locks the door and scurries around the counter to join the others. They've made it, and the business will not be closed. That's when the clock is center stage. We often hear the old adage, time is money, and as far back as the Middle Ages and the invention of the mechanical clock, human-centered time began shifting to what's called merchant time, the getting and spending kind of time in Wordsworth's phrase. But of course, there's a completely different notion of time in this movie, and it's personified by Clarence the angel and the values of that higher realm he represents, the humane values that prevail after Clarence's reality intersects with the materialist world of mean Mr. Potter and company. And there's one very fascinating detail. We learn that Clarence the Angel's occupation when he was alive nearly 300 years earlier, he was a clockmaker. And in the here and now, Clarence's time upends the best-laid bottom lines of all the bankers and the like. And that's the role of the fantasy elements of the film. So what if we were to wander out into the hallway at the Dietrich, the Earnshaw Lobby Gallery? We might catch sight of an absolutely amazing scene. An enormous clock with a swinging pendulum and a column covered with clock faces of different sizes 
We're actually inside a clock tower with the mechanism that keeps the hands moving and telling the time. But wait, where did all these monkeys come from? And what are they up to? They're tweaking the nose of merchant time, it would seem. A spirited resistance, perhaps, to the notion that quantitative time offered by clocks can possibly displace the richly qualitative time that has always shaped human lives in innumerable and profound ways, as Nancy Bradbury and Carolyn Colette suggest. And isn't that what holidays help us do? Take time out and connect with a different order of time. And isn't that the gift of fantasy? What's wonderful is the clockmaker here is Stephen Hendrickson. Like the wooden beams that form the superstructure of the clock mechanism in the Wonder Window, he has spent his life creating the superstructure and, of course, the intricate details so that stories can be told that capture our imagination, take us places we would never go, geographically or within a person's soul. Stephen Hendrickson is a stage designer and film and production designer. He most recently has worked with the CBS series The Good Wife and The Good Fight, and some of his colleagues there, writers, have called him crazy talented. You'll know his movies, Arthur, Wall Street, and The Muppets Take Manhattan, a movie that's surely been screened on that very screen at the Dietrich. Christmas in July is an exhibition of a number of the holiday models designed and created by Stephen Hendrickson and displayed through the years at the Dietrich Theater in Tonkanic. The exhibit is up through September 3rd, and there will be an artist's reception this Sunday from 3 to 5. It's free, and we are invited. Stephen Hendrickson may just talk to us about working with the Muppets. Muppets are, you're in a fantasy world. You're in a dream world, you know, and things can look like a fantasy and can look like a dream because, in fact, they are. And the Muppets Take Manhattan had a very specific color scheme of blue and pink that comes out of baby colors. And, in fact, one of the most famous sequences in the movie is the Muppet babies flopping around in their nursery. And every single thing is blue and pink in there. And that was a theme through the costumes and through the sets, even through the lighting, that, again, we decided on that early on and decided on a palette that would have this fantasy world to it and applied it wherever we could. It's really the only fantasy movie I've ever done. All the other movies are, even though the Muppets move around in a real world, you see them on the streets of New York and so forth, and you can't make the streets of New York blue and pink, but in the areas that you can control, you do control it, and the costumes help with that also. The other movies are all have at least one foot in reality, and Wall Street has both feet in reality, except when you go into the dream world of, of uh, Daryl Hannah as a decorator, which you know is a pretty funny idea to begin with, and even though it's supposed to be a real thing within that script. I think there's a little sense of humor in, on Oliver's part to think of her as a decorator, particularly, and the clue to that is the way she's dressed. There are hats with veils and, and flourishes that are a little, a little fantasy-like. 
So when we see Bud's apartment being built, we're building a fantasy for him of a power player who isn't quite there yet and very nouveau riche in a weird way. And the things that she puts together and he likes are just ridiculous. You know, there are chairs made of twigs covered in gold leaf. And there's a bed with four posts that have gilded dinosaurs on them. You know, uh, and there's a coffee table that looks like it's got a glass top, but when, when they put a glass down, it falls to the floor because there's no, there is no glass top. It's just sheets of metal. You know? So there are these crazy fantasy things that nobody in the real world would actually live like that. And we also we see them stapling plastic rocks and bricks up in his apartment to make it look like old and antique. There are all these steps we went through to sort of try to satirize 80s decorating, which had a whole deconstructive thing going on, and gilded things and overscaled pop art faces and things like that, all of which are ridiculous you know and they're ridiculous within the movie but you sort of think oh so okay i guess that's how they really live but there's also a fantasy level to it that nobody lives like that and when his father comes to that apartment he's appalled you know and he makes some comment i don't remember what the words are but he looks around and it's just like horrified at what his son has become and allowed himself to become under the influence of Gecko and under the, the crazy work of the decorator. And so this is a perfect example that you're giving us of the way the production design supports the theme and illuminates the characters. Yes, yes. And that was very obviously guided by Oliver also, who was intensely involved in all of it. You know, he totally participates and... Um, has opinions and has things he wants to see expressed and to happen. And also because that story was intensely personal to him. That story is really comes out of both the life of his father and the life of a close friend of his, sort of parts of both of them. But his father was a broker in Wall Street, and the friend that he referenced also was also a broker in Wall Street. So he knew that world intimately, uh, having grown up in it. So this was both a homage to it and a critique of it, and also obviously a critique of 80s excess and greed. And so when you were there working as part of that team, and in a sense, Oliver Stone's right hand, you were there on the set. Morning, noon, and night, yes. <laughs> You're there. You are there, right there all the time, yes. There were things on the day of a shoot that you could run in and move a chair or something? Well, yes. I mean, and there always, there's always that. You know, there's always the, the early morning panic before the shoot, yes. <laughs> you were talking about fantasy, and it's a wonderful segue into what you have brought to us each and every holiday season at the Dietrich. And I'm interested in lots of things about these windows. One of the things is scale. You create models for the films that you shoot and the theater pieces. 
So you are used to working at that scale because you already do modeling for the work that you've done all along in theater and film. This would be a natural expression for you? Yes, I, you're right. It, it, it is a natural expression because basically I've built the stage box at proportions of a fairly large theater stage. So then I'm filling it to that scale. It's basically one inch to a foot scale. Not everything religiously conforms to that, but that's the basis that I start with because that's basically the space that I have there to work with. And actually, like theater design, the depth is very limited. I have you know, a fairly wide window, but it's only 19 inches deep. So I have to fit a lot into 19 inches, which is not very much. (laughs) What was the impetus for the first window? Was it 2003, the first one? Uh, I think it was. We've, We've sort of worked back in our heads, Margie and I, when did we start this? And the Dietrich is having its 20th anniversary now, and I didn't do it the first couple of years. So we figure probably about 17 years ago was the first one. I was asked, you know, they they like to decorate for Christmas. And uh, I was asked, did I want to do something? I said, okay, what do you want to do? I said, I don't know, but I could do this. Why don't I take a window and do something with it? So it went from there. You know, it was sort of casual, offhand, as it were. But I fell back on what I know. And I had no supplies. I had nothing. So I took old picture frames and cut them up and pieced them together to make a proscenium on on a piece of plywood. And I got some little snow characters and some snow and branches and whatever and did the first one. And I got hooked on it and they loved it. And it kind of grew from there. So now it's gotten kind of elaborate. But at the beginning, it was, you know, relatively straightforward and simple, but they were charming little little windows that I appreciated the chance to do it, and the theater and the community enjoy seeing them. Since the beginning, as things have evolved, there are themes now. Mm-hmm. So you take a window and you say, this time it's going to be... Yeah, it's developed. Again, the first one just sort of had its own little Christmassy attitude towards it. Now I, I specifically look for characters that can be in it, and what is the story? I've got to have a story to tell. I don't, I don't do a design and then look for characters. I've got to have the characters to start with. And because I want little three-dimensional, lifelike figurines, as it were, but at a certain scale, I have to find those things and how do they all work together? And then where can they be? What's their story? And sometimes it turns out it's all sort of wintry, snowy, little snowmen and little children and playing with sleds and so forth. But they can be put together in a relationship with each other, so that tells a little story. Other times, it's relatively easy to get characters from the circus. So the circus is a repeating theme over the years that you can find clowns, obviously, and acrobats and other kind of performers. So there have been different circuses with uh, different attitudes to them. 
some fancy, some simpler, but circus is a fun one to do. And also children relate to it easily. And you can also tie it into Christmas with how you decorate the circus. Because Christmas has to be a theme within what I'm doing. They always reference Santa Claus or snowmen or Christmas trees or all of them together. (laughs) But obviously it goes in for December for the Christmas holidays. So it wants to tie in with what the other decorations are in the Dietrich also. So Christmas is kind of the jumping off point. Other times I did one that was all little mice. I happened to find a whole collection of like a family, a mother cooking and little mice carrying presents and a Christmas tree and stuff like that. And someone noticed in our yard a chopped down tree with some different big curvy hunks of wood. And one of them, somebody said to me, why don't you do something with the, why don't you do something with some of that? And I started looking at it and I realized I could in fact put the two things together and create a little world where these mice live in the winter and had a mother with a little oven and she's got a tray of cookies and the little mice are around carrying presents and wood and Christmas tree. And so again, I was looking for the story. I couldn't figure out how do you get the two things together until I got the story and I found this mother cooking. And then that created the whole rest of the world. You've got a story if you've got a mother with a tray of cookies. Where do you look for these characters? Antique shops, secondhand stores? I look everywhere, but the best source for me is eBay. Yeah, I control eBay for hours on end, but I find them. But it used to be easier. It's not so easy now because I've been looking for some specific things and I'm not finding them, not finding them. We have plenty of music surrounding you inspired by the Commedia dell'arte, Mozart to your left, for example. Mm -hmm. You took Commedia on. That came about because you had some characters? Yes. Again, through eBay. And I think maybe 15 years ago, I found this set of four acrobats dressed in Commedia costumes. And they're exquisitely done with enormous detail and the right size. They're not too big for the scale of the stages that I do. And it took me a long time to kind of work through other sets I was doing to actually figure out how to best use them. And I finally sort of decided, a year or two ago, I decided, okay, what brought that together was, I think on the sign it says 2017, there was the first what was called super moon that I was aware of. And we could see it from our apartment in New York absolutely and it was in December it was December 17th I think I put it in the notes for the display and I took a picture of it and it was great and then I thought you know I could put that moon as a background to the acrobats at night in the woods putting on a show for some villagers so again the two things came together So that's how I came up with the set for the Commedia. That's what started the Commedia. We mentioned music leading into that question. You have always included music and motorized sets? Uh, Not always. It started, I don't know, 
a few years ago, I started that. Again, I discovered on eBay, they sell little tiny motors that turn Christmas ornaments. And you put them in your Christmas tree and you hang an ornament on it. I thought, well, that's interesting because I've got these little characters, the acrobats, that could be turning. So that got me onto the motors. And then I discovered little tiny three-inch turntables that they use to display jewelry. So I thought, hmm, I could use those to turn little characters around. So I got two or three of those, and I had them in a window. And then the next year, I thought, because I didn't want them, the motors going all the time and burn out, what if there's a push button, you could turn them on? So that's what I did. So I had made a little box and put a switch in it, and I mounted in the front of the window, and kids can push the button, and the motors go. Then they're involved. Then, in then they're attached, you know. Then we added music to it. So I had another button, and it connects to an MP3 player, and it plays music. So when we got to the Nutcracker, we could put them both together. One button turned the Christmas tree and the little motors, and the other button played Nutcracker Suite. Speaking of mice, do you have mice in your Nutcracker Suite? Um, I don't think there aren't mice in the Nutcracker Suite. There are the soldiers with the swords, but the mice aren't there. I always find that the most problematic part of stage productions of, of the Nutcracker, when these hideous costumes come out. No matter what production you see, they're just terrible, you know. They're supposed to be scary because the kids are scared, but still, uh, I don't find that the best part of the Nutcracker. So do you have Clara and... The Clara's kids? there and the uncle with the clock, and uh, they're all there. However, the Nutcracker in the current display is not motorized because that stage platform is being reused for the next Christmas. So the revolve that revolved the Christmas tree is not available to use this summer. And it also was a limited amount of time to do all the installation. So it lacks the motors. <laughs> you mentioned the clock. You have one window that is so intricate and involved, and it is clock mechanisms and all kinds yes. of intricacies. Yeah. Um, I'll take a moment and pull that picture up for you. This is a picture of the clock at the Musée d'Orsay in Paris. This actually is a still from the show Lupin, and that's him. But at any rate, we had been in Paris and seen this clock. Actually, I was there the month it opened, in 2000 or so. So you can, you can get inside clocks is the point and see them from the inside. So that's one inspiration. And this picture actually is in the display of research for the clock tower. So here then, I made a set that is inside a clock tower. And this is the wooden structure that holds the mechanism. And it's, it's based on several other big clocks and big clock towers. And in my notes at the display, I also point out there's a clock in the tower of the courthouse in Tunkhannock. The kids can look up and see, oh, there's a giant clock. And again, I don't remember whether... I found the monkeys first or the idea of a clock first. But at any rate, I found this set. There are half a dozen of musicians dressed in 18th century clothing playing musical instruments. 
And then there are other monkeys that are just blowing a trumpet and running around and hanging from ropes and so forth. And I thought, well, again, it's Christmas. If there were monkeys and they got in the clock tower and they knocked over the Christmas tree, you know, it might be fun. That's why I put those two ideas together. And then a lot of this is motorized. The, the pendulum is swinging back and forth and the clock hands are spinning around. In the initial installation years ago, which was like 10 years ago, you could push the button and this gear device would spin and other things would move up and down a little bit. But again, there were more motors than I could deal with. But there is movement in this one as the clock tower is moving and the pendulum is swinging. And there's a monkey on, on that hanging on and swinging back and forth. And before I did this, I had been... And again, there's a picture in the exhibit. You see, the exhibit also has a side panel of research. There's a photo here of the original installation. And then these are my sketches. And then here's some other things. But what I'm getting to, we were in Paris, and I was actually thinking of a possible production of Hunchback of Notre Dame. So I thought, I better go and really get up there. So we did. And you climb this enormously tiny but high stone stairway that circles around and get all the way up. And you, you are in the top of those towers. And you're right beside the bells. You could practically touch the bells that are the size of this room. And it's all giant wooden beams that we're used to in barn structures, but bigger. Just unbelievable, the scale of it. So it isn't a clock tower, but it is a similar tower. So that architecture informed what I was doing here in the proscenium surround here with all these, these beams and this structure that holds up the clockworks. Do you, like Santa, have a workshop where you do this? Unfortunately, the workshop is what used to be my living room. <laughs> there are other rooms that, you know, are, are the normal part of our house. But yes, I have a room that's dedicated to the workshop. And you're working now. You alluded to the fact that you're... Yes. Next Christmas is well underway, in fact. I actually started it last January, actually right after I had installed last Christmas's village. There was a whole village of little snow-covered village was last year's installation, which again was a kind of a reference to Tunkhannock that snow had covered the village. At any rate, I got that one out of the house and started on the next one right away. Because it was a long, cold COVID winter. We couldn't go anywhere, couldn't go to the movies, couldn't see anybody, couldn't have anybody in. So I went to work. Take the clock tower. Because it was so attached to your trip to Paris and you love the little monkey characters that you found yeah. and so forth, do the characters stay with you? Do the stories stay with you? I've, I put this, this is intact because it was been in storage. I have storage units and I stored it because I sort of can't part with it. You know, it, it first of all, it represents so much work on a part of a lot of people. I didn't do all that work. You know, I had help in my shops when I was working um, that people would build things or paint things for me and so forth. So enormous amount of help to get all of that done. And I hate to lose that. And I don't have that resource anymore. So I sort of hang on to it, you know. In the past, actually, we stored a couple of them in the basement of the Dietrich, and then Tunkhannock had the huge flood. I think that was 2009, 
and they were lost. So two models kaput. <laughs> they were flooded and thrown out in the trash. I know, it was heartbreaking. But uh, during the time we were installing it, I was there a lot, and the clock tower was in. So it immediately attracted kids because they were coming to see baby bus. So they attract the eye, definitely, yeah. particularly if there's movement. And the clock has the swinging pendulum. And in the uh, Commedia, at least one of them is revolving. I hope that motor is still working. Mm. So you're going to welcome us to the theater on Sunday, and you'll be there to talk about some of the things? I will, yes. It'll be fun seeing the people, seeing the models. Stephen Hendrickson, stage designer and film and TV production designer. His most recent work has been seen on the CBS series The Good Wife and The Good Fight. His movies include Arthur, Wall Street, and The Muppets Take Manhattan. Christmas in July is an exhibition of his work, the Christmas models designed and that he created over the course of those 17 years. There's one to come this December as well. And you are invited to reception for the artist. The show will be up through the 3rd of September, but you have a chance to meet and talk with Stephen Hendrickson. It's this Sunday from 3 to 5. That's July 25th from 3 to 5. It's free. There'll be refreshments, and you'll have a chance to engage with these wonderful, wonderful windows. The Nutcracker Suite, we're hearing the music. The Clock Tower and the Commedia dell'arte acrobats will be featured. And a preview of Christmas 2021. Christmas in July at the Dietrich Theater in the Earnshaw Lobby Gallery, a retrospective display of Christmas models designed and created by Stephen Hendrickson. And the exhibit will be up to September 3rd. And the Dietrich Theater is on East Tioga in downtown Tunkanic. And for more information on the web, dietrichtheater.com, Dietrich theater.com d-i-e-t-r-i-c-h theater is e-r Stephen Hendrickson 3 to 5 this Sunday July 25th at the Dietrich Theater in Tunkhannock